Welcome back to another episode of Capital Roundup. I'm back. I'm State Representative Nick Zerwas, joined, as always, by State Senator Dan Schoen. And uh, good news, I'm out of uh, intensive care, where I was seeking uh, care following my pneumonia. I, uh, to be clear, I was in intensive care in my own house. I wasn't in the hospital or anything. But uh, I was horribly horribly sick you weren't good i i uh i was uh ready to run up with a, a generator and a cord to keep the life support machine going in case bat wanted to pull the plug you're a good man you're a good man no uh i'll tell you what you, st- you get a little case of that pneumonia uh when you only got half a heart and it uh no you don't need that drama it really gets you it's uh, uh the doctor so i have the cough is kind of sticking with me and the doctor said technically in clinical terms, the uh, the cough is referred to as the devil's grip. Are you kidding me? Is that really what he said or she said? I, I've not heard of that. And, you know, I was a paramedic for a bunch of years and would go from, uh, ner- especially in the winter, nursing home to nursing home when I worked out in the Wilmer area. And uh, it was well known. It wasn't, uh, it yeah. wasn't the initial injury. It wasn't the initial illness. Uh, but if pneumonia set in, that's when things got scary, especially for the elderly too, and and those with uh, that are have a immunosuppressed system have have a little issue keeping keeping the bug away like so, you. So yeah, no, it uh, the the devil's grip has me, but we're we're fighting back. Well, you were down to about half a word and a cough. Yeah, no, uh, was, for a hot minute there. It got pretty challenging to try to do radio um, when you can get out a third of a sentence. Much less try to sing a lullaby to your kid. Oh, yeah, there wasn't. Not that I, you ever maybe should, but you can try to maybe muscle something out that. I was heavily quarantined from Little Man. Yeah, you went from uh, Pink Eye with him. Yes. And then uh, to Near Death to you. Oh, it is it is a, not unlike any other new parents, it is an absolute Petri dish. Every family all over Minnesota knows oh, what that's like. God. It is, I've heard my friends talk about that before. But it's rough around the station here. Sam uh, is, is is healing up from breaking her collarbone. How's that yep. doing, Sam? I, I mean, like you... a, a, it's been about a month. I think it was I think it was a month on Tuesday since I broke my collarbone. And I, t- I had an appointment on Monday. I got some x-rays done. Doesn't look like it's really healed that much, but I was sick of my sling, so I just took it off. She just, uh, you know, went to WebMD. <laughs> I just got tired of it. <laughs> went to WebMD and said, it's fine. I don't know. It's my second collarbone, so I feel like I've kind of done the whole runaround well, before. She's a pro. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just because it's your second one doesn't mean you have a spare. <laughs> like you yeah, need... that's you know that's true. It's like I just know, throw but... another one in. <laughs> no, I got, I just, I I've feel... got horses to tame. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I brought. Like I rode a horse on Monday after my doctor appointment. <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't know about that. No, I just, I just you're can't going fall. to a real doctor, right? You're not going yes. to a vet. <laughs> no, I have a very uh, very w- well qualified experienced orthopedic surgeon that I go to that I have been regularly visiting almost every year. She has a punch year. card. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had a punch card. <laughs> one, one more and you get a free knee when you're 70. That does sound really nice. It I might be helpful. That. I mean, I'm sure I'll yeah. be there someday too after some football injuries. So, <laughs> Football injuries. I wonder if they do collarbone replacements. <gasps> Falling off like your couch while watching the Vikings does not count as a football <laughs> injury. 
Oh, I. No, that's the first I've heard of that rule. <laughs> well, it's a new one. It's a new rule. Oh, golly. All right, let's dig into this. Um, we're we're out of committee and we're into conference committee session at the Capitol, meaning that the bills from the House and the Senate are are being combined. Um into a single bill that can be passed by both bodies and sent to the governor. Uh, the governor, to some people's surprise, decided, announced that he would not participate in negotiations at this period of the assembly of the bills, wouldn't participate in actually putting the bills together yet, but then issued a series of veto threats that he would veto all these bills even though they haven't been finalized or passed. Is he trying to set us up for a shutdown? Well, it sounds like he is participating and giving you guidelines. I mean, you're in the majority, and I think he's made it pretty clear that uh, the proposals you've set forth so far aren't aren't meeting his standards. And what's interesting is even in the Senate, I've heard some of the Senate GOP uh, folks say, you know, they're— Looking forward the governor pushing us a little higher so that their constituents aren't quite so mad uh, when they go back home. And I'm like, well, how can you count on the governor to do this when you are in charge? you got to set the tone. And so I think the governor is, is probably, you know, I'm, I'm not the governor. Uh, the, maybe, maybe some folks would wish I was and some folks would wish oh, I, okay. I really wasn't. Okay, settle down. But uh, – uh, I'm not running for that, so don't don't be afraid. Nick, are you running for governor? No. Okay. Well, so if if he does, if he if he set out the letter and said this is what we got to do, this is what's got to happen, or I'm going to uh, veto it. I mean, there's some participation, but they've made it very clear if you want to cut the agencies, they're not going to participate in doing just some random 10% cut across the board. Um, and so I think they've said. All they're going to say at this point is like, if this is how you want to do it and how you want to run government, then bring me something and I'll let you know. But here's our numbers. Here's our budget proposal. And it's certainly significantly higher than the House and the Senate. Well, but the governor's budget proposals are not tied to reality. The level of growth in government spending is unacceptable at the governor's pace. Well, I I would say that the the House GOP budget is certainly not tied to reality when you talk about – losing funding completely for disability uh, transit services to get a a bus for the handicapped and elderly in Hastings, Minnesota, and completely shut it down. And I know that there's several other communities that are in that same scenario. So that's not based in reality either. Everybody knows that, yes, there is going to be negotiations. However, there is no reason to start off with that point where you're going to go, well, we're just going to cut stuff and have a 40% decrease in in, uh, bus line bus transport from Cottage Grove and, and South St. Paul uh, to people bringing people to work. And we're trying to figure out how to get people back to Cottage Grove and our area to actually work in the industrial park. Well, we can't even start that conversation. We're talking about the 40% elimination and or shutdown of services to get them out to work for the people that are already there. So we're scheduled by Constitution to end at midnight Monday, May 22nd. With the governor's refusal to negotiate at this point, is that possible to finish on time? Well, it's incumbent upon the uh, House GOP and Senate GOP to get the actual new targets out from conference committee. So is that going to happen today? Are the targets going to come out? Are are they going to come out today? I mean, the governor said... 
the only way we're going to get done and be able to actually make this happen is if we are in, have in hand your proposal for what the numbers are going to be. I expect joint targets to be released over the weekend. Um, but the problem is what we've seen from this governor, a governor that consistently moves the goalposts, consistently changes what his top priority is. Well, now, once again, move the goalposts once these targets come out, and he will leverage the, his ability as the executive to hurt Minnesotans by increasing unneeded spending. Well, that won't the there'll be no hurting. This is about uh, actually helping folks that need it. The you know you, I I will say Democrats get frustrated with Governor Dayton. Because he will sometimes draw a line in the sand with Republicans and then go, you know what, I got to do the right thing for Minnesota and I got to make a deal. And it's far more often that he starts at a number and comes closer to you than you come closer to him. And that's uh, that's the part where you're you're going to say he moves the goalposts. Well, yeah, he moves the goalposts to make the deal and do what he needs to do. He's got a Republican House, Republican Senate, and a DFL governor. And so that and, and you know with that arrangement, we should expect more conservative budgeting than what the governor would want. And he needs to live with that. Well, I, I have no doubt that he will. Uh, but you can't have uh, absolute zeros across the board. That's a cut. When you have a, a zero increase in a budget for several years, that's a cut because you're not meeting up with inflation. But, you know, well, we'll finish. Only in government is not increasing spending a cut. Well, it's not just spending, but you, you have to operate your business. That's what you, the Republicans, you always say, we got to run it like a business. Well, it costs money to run. Tires cost more every year, and we have cars on the road, that type of thing. But you can be rest assured, Nick Zerwas, Representative Nick Zerwas and I are going to uh, battle this out a little bit more when we return with, on Capital Roundup. Stay tuned, uh, AM 1130, Twin Cities News Talk. Roundup with Representative Nick Sirwas, and of course, this is Senator Dan Schoen, and we're so glad you're listening to us on Saturday. Well, yeah, you heard us at the last end of last segment, kind of battling out how uh, how we're going to get there to the end, how it's going to happen by May 22nd at midnight, it will. And, and it will happen. Now, if the work isn't done, and and the governor decides uh, that work will get done. Things will get off to the governor, and he will decide whether he's going to veto or not. And I think that a lot of folks, it's, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if you hear the same thing I hear occasionally, but people come by, and I know that activists and lobbyists and citizens who are at the Capitol every day, uh, people feel like they got to have something to talk about and see if they are right about it. And right now it's about percentages. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, will the state government – uh, state legislature have a special session. So then they've got this percentage uh, bet going on. And then if it's a special session, how long will it last before the negotiations uh, come together? And will there be a shutdown of some sort? Uh, I don't think anybody needs that by any means. It, it won't help We're, anybody. We are way too far away to start talking about um, not getting done on time. Oh, for you and I, we're too or, far away. But this is people down. that sit inside and, and yeah. just... Well, and have downtime. It's conference committee 
season, so that means all the regular committees no longer meet. Uh, you know what they say about idle hands? <laughs> that's right. It's the devil's work. Oh, man. Yeah, absolutely. So so that's when the texting starts, and what do you think, and what are you hearing? And, and uh, so we'll get the budgets out. But, you know, one thing that we haven't spent a lot of time on on this show, yes. uh, and we're starting to ramp up, Nick, is yep. – uh, Statewide races are coming out. People are starting to announce. We've had a bunch of those on the DFL side, and now they're starting to come out on the GOP side. I think uh, I think your uh, your team has a little little convention coming up, and there was a bit of a kerfuffle in the news uh, related to Chair Downey and and uh, and emails that were going around, and who leaked what, and sounds like we got email gate at the at the GOP and uh, party. And to be clear, it. It wasn't a kerfuttful. It was an absolute disaster. Well, you know, I, you know, I'm I'm always trying to be a little bit supportive and not com- completely oh, yeah. uh, so helpful. Uh, you know, take everybody down the rabbit hole if give well, them a chance. Well, we had some um, GOP executive committee drama that was widely reported um, in the media this week, leading up to the convention um, on Saturday, um, talking about. An internal memo that Keith Downey um, issued to the nominations committee around whether or not he thought the current deputy chair, Chris Fields, who's running for chair, um, is qualified um, and, and capable of fulfilling that role. And Keith Downey is not running for re-election Correct. as the state GOP chair. Correct. So he, in this email, uh, they asked him, I assume the executive committee said, we'd really like your report about X, Y, and Z, where you see this coming down and what you've seen as the chair of these individuals who have participated. What is your personal opinion? And, and I, it doesn't sound like Keith's intention was to publicly um, support or not support anybody but he was doing what he was asked to do from the executive committee. Well, is that right? I may, uh, maybe I, I'm misunderstanding completely. Yeah, but and I think it was more of the nominations committee. Oh, nom- okay. And the executive committee, but some particular group that was looking for yeah, information from there. That's neither yeah. here nor there. Um, the the interesting thing is, since it's all been leaked out now, when you read through it, Keith is very upfront and says, "Here's." concrete examples of where I think Chris Fields isn't fit to be in leadership and then um, kind of lays that out and then with the attachment to that email is a 32 page document listing all of these incidents that's a that's a pretty significant uh, performance evaluation I guess well, from the chair and I and I will say I I don't know either of the two personally. Uh, and I know I've, both. I've met them, but I, I, know I, I don't know them personally, so I have no no basis to say about work performance on either party. But and I know both of them. I like both of them. I to be clear, I don't have a candidate in the chair race that I'm supporting. Um, so, um, but I will say um, the emails that were included between Chris Fields and Keith Downey and then other members as they were um, trying to react to different things 
that Chris had said or done or said he would do and then didn't do over the course of the last several years, you start reading all of those back to back to back. And it's, it really is staggering the challenges and the internal strife that I think the average Republican was unaware of. And probably the uh, leadership from the executive committee and to those involved aren't real interested in having that out in the public. Well, and that's just it. And to your point earlier, Keith Downing sent an email to a small group of people that I think rightfully had uh, had a right to his assessment. I don't believe Chairman Downey can be blamed because one of those individuals then leaked that email to the press. So what does this do for the Republican Party moving forward? And I know that it looked like they had took out a, uh, a loan to continue operations through the month or uh, however much longer they needed, like took out another line of credit for $40,000. And I think what's important to be upfront and honest about that, you know, the DFL party uh, decade plus ago or uh, had had certainly had those issues as well, uh, fundraising and trying to keep uh, keep operations open. And that is, uh, you know, independent of, you know, are you going to win? Are you not? I mean, that's, this is this is business operations day to day. Well, and to be clear, Keith Downey, inherited a Republican, state Republican Party, that was had $2 million in debt, um, was several months past due on rent, had no employees, and that was all a surprise for Keith. Yeah, yep, and that's, I think, I mean, that, 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 that unfolded in the public, too. Yes, um, in, in Keith's terms as chair, Chairman Downey has paid off half of that existing debt. They have downsized the GOP, moved locations. They have made payroll. They have made rent. They have and that's like four years? or how I believe he's been there for five, five years. Four. I mean, that's no small feat. No, no. To, to, take an, to take an organization that was probably 30 days from going under and making that much progress, Chairman Downey deserves a lot of credit. That being said, um, whoever wins the Republican Party share election will need to fundraise $30,000 in the first 20 days in order to ramp up and keep operations going. You know, the, and you, you got to have lights, you got to have uh, internet, you got to have phones, and you got to be able to get the word out and get around, uh, around the state. And that's uh, certainly an integral part because, well, you know, we've got people announcing for statewide races. That's right. And uh, and uh, your buddy and my friend as well, uh, Representative Matt Dean, former majority leader, uh, bef- before you and I got elected. Correct. Uh, was the majority leader of the Minnesota House with then Speaker Kurt Zellers. Correct. Uh, and I will say that uh, um, from my perspective, Matt and I are ideologically uh, opposite in a lot of ways. But I, I do consider him a friend, and I, I, I like Matt. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't say I'd probably end up voting for him, and I'd, I doubt he'd end up voting for me statewide. But, uh, you know, I, uh, what do you think? I mean, and Speaker Kurt Doubt's got some new logo. What's that all about conveniently at the same time? And he's talking about mining. Well, this is an interesting turn uh, for a lot of us who are watching what, what the, the GOP plans to do in the next next uh, step with some of the folks in leadership over at the House GOP. I think there's a lot of people thinking about running for governor. There's a lot of rumors about who may run for governor. But 
I know I I can think of several people I won't name that I'd love get to get the GOP nomination for governor. <laughs> but Matt has announced he took the leap. He's out. He's doing it. He's running. And uh, to be 100% transparent, I think people that listen to uh, the morning show um, when I'm on um, probably have, have realized over the last several years I am a huge Matt Dean supporter. Um, You're on board with Matt Dean for yeah, governor. 100%. No question. 100%. Yep. Matt's my guy. Matt's my candidate. Um, I think his experience in healthcare and his background his temperament. He's the only one who has officially, that's in the legislature, right, that is officially announced as GOP governor candidate. Correct. Is that, yeah, Correct. I'm trying to, I know that there's others that are being discussed and have brought it up, yep. uh, but haven't officially announced. Uh, Speaker Doubt is, has a new uh, logo and uh, interesting, interesting point that I think uh, we'll talk about that in the next segment it's uh interesting because the timing yeah i think interesting we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna visit that we're, we're uh shortly out of time for this segment so stay tuned to capital roundup with representative nick zerwas this is senator dan shown on twin cities news talk am 1130 fm 103.5 we'll be right back and talk about uh representative kurt doubt's new logo Welcome back to Capital Roundup. Senator Dan Schoen here with Representative Nick Zerwas. Uh, when we left the last segment, uh, we had talked about uh, how former Majority Leader Representative Matt Dean was uh, the first to officially announce from the GOP side of a, a current legislator who is running for governor. Yeah, um, and, and, I, and I think, quite frankly, um, Matt, with his work that he's done statewide, um, he has been known as one of the leaders of the conservative caucus within the House uh, Republican ranks. Um, I think he is really well positioned statewide um, for the Republican Party endorsement, which Matt immediately said he would seek and abide by. I, I think other candidates are going to be really challenged um, to be endorsed over Matt Dean, quite frankly. Well, there's your first commercial right there. It's, uh, it's good stuff. The, the Matt Dean for Governor uh, uh, team ready in action. On the DFL side, we've uh, got State Auditor Rebecca Otto, uh, Representative Tim, Tina Liebling, Representative Aaron Murphy, Rep, uh, Mayor uh, uh, Norm Coleman. Not Norm Coleman, just Chris, kidding. Chris Coleman. You all wish it was. <laughs> so my buddy, uh, Representative Chris Coleman, Tim Walls, Congressman Tim Walls is in. Uh, those are the official folks. Certainly, more out there that are contemplating uh, the. Uh, Just do us a favor, rep- Nick Congressman right Nick, uh, Congressman Rick. I got Nick on my mind today. Congressman Rick Nolan uh, considering, and I know that there's others that are uh, moving around. Everybody, if 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 I go somewhere, somebody's wondering what I'm doing. Uh, if Nick goes somewhere, uh, Nick Zerwas, they're wondering what you're up to. But no. uh, yeah, you never know. What Nick Zerwas is going to do. So, but Speaker of the House, Kurt Zell, or uh, God, well, I'm all over the place. Kurt Doubt, because we were talking about former Speaker Kurt Zellers. Yeah. Current Speaker yes. Kurt Doubt got a new logo. And you've got your convention coming up. And he plans on being the champion of mining. Yes. Just a resolution supporting mining. 
Well, so it's interesting. Matt Dean announces for governor, sends out a email blast to statewide delegates, alternates, um, announcement, all this stuff on TV, in the paper. Um, wonderful article, by the way, by Bill Salisbury in the Pioneer Press. Um, but immediately responding to that, or I shouldn't say responding to that, immediately what happens is Kurt Doubt sends an email to delegates and alternates. Please support my mining resolution. And talks about um, advocating for uh, jobs in the Iron Range. Um, so his, a, his, play, his play to seek higher office. Now, now but I, I will say that it just does change uh, the outlook if, as far as what is he actually seeking? Is he now looking at con- congressional race in the 8th, or is he looking at governor? And then either way, is he, does he believe his play is to get Democrats to vote for him? I mean, well, in theory, let's, I mean, Trump did, uh, did win up on the Iron Range and took a lot of, a lot of districts uh, because of the mining discussion. And it was more related to trade and economic hope. And that is the that is the point uh, that really was was economic hope, and about getting people to work. So is I'll is his right play now. right through Democrats to win the conservative vote? I'll tell you right now, though. Here's the thing: if Democrats nominate, and their candidate in November is someone that is anti-mining and anti-iron range, like Rebecca Otto, yeah, I think a Republican can do very well. Uh, on the Iron Range. I think they could do extremely well. So, and what we saw through Donald Trump is that there are people on the Iron Range that want to be left the heck alone by government and just want to go to work. That is awfully close to talking to some pretty uh, core GOP values. Well, and I wouldn't even say it's about being left alone. It's about being helped the way they should be helped. And uh, having their jobs protected the way they should be protected, and if we're going to have steel, not uh, not to accept that uh, foreign steel gets illegally dumped in our country, um, if we're going to mine, uh, then that we're going to have the regulars in place to make sure it's it's safe, it's a safe work environment, and that those folks get to do their jobs. I will say this: that the path for Democrats is the economic message of the middle class. Yeah. And I think everybody thinks that think people forgot. Yeah, people think that parties. people people uh, were led to believe. And, and I think that we didn't talk about it enough in the campaign. But the bottom line is this. If you want to fix any of the ails that we have for at least most of them is put people back to work at good paying jobs. And I will say that I have family up on the Iron Range. And if I had 30 percent unemployment in my district and I was dragging my trash cans down to the end of the driveway and I looked left and right, and 30% of my neighbors without work, you better believe there's tears in my eyes, and I'm wondering who's coming to help me. And unfortunately, you know, uh, folks thought that uh, the Republicans thought we're going to be the ones that are going to help them. I think we're seeing maybe there's a difference of opinion on that. Uh, but I will say this, you're, you, you can't be anti-anything for the most part as it comes to work. Yep. It's about being pro-doing it safely yep. and positively for Minnesotans as a whole. 
and Democrats will be doing that, and we'll we'll have a good candidate that uh, that will champion that message. Well, and I think um, if Rick Nolan decides that he no longer wants to serve in Washington D.C., but feels compelled to run for governor, um, I think you're going to get some real um, top tier congressional candidates uh, for that eighth district seat out of the Republican side. I think um, two election cycles in a row, you've seen him be very competitive. Um, I think without an incumbent there, that's a wide open seat. Um, And quite frankly, um, that includes um, if the Speaker of the House, Kurt Dowd, got into that race, I think it would be his to win. So I know in our when I was in the House DFL caucus that there was still some leftover sting from a previous speaker running for governor while sitting on the speaker's dais, and uh, there's still a little bit of a sting. How does that play out in the in the House GOP caucus uh, for your current sitting um, speaker of the House? Well, I don't seeking get, out. Uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because clearly Kurt Dowd hasn't announced for. That's fair. Now. That's fair. He has not. Um, you know, he's doing different things. We're trying to read tea leaves, and so I don't want to be irresponsible. Hypothetically. But but what we've seen in the past um, is we've seen um, caucus leaders step down from those positions as they ran for higher office. And is that the right thing to do? Um, well, I can't speak for the caucus. I can speak uh, for myself. And um, we know going into next November, the House Republican Caucus um, – isn't going to have the benefit of um, a lot of outside GOP money coming into the state. And so it is a huge job to hold and protect our majority. Um, And so I would like a Speaker of the House and a caucus leader um, that their sole focus is much as I want a, a Republican governor. That person's sole focus needs to be retaining and growing the House Republican majority. It needs to be singularly focused on that. And I, I will agree that if the DFL was in charge and and uh, the majority leader in my caucus was running for higher office, I would be very skeptical, um, and I think a lot of people would, regardless of party. I think that, even if it's the minority leader, if, if you're, a, that's leader, fair. Yeah, you're, if you're a leader of the yep. caucus— um, your sole job, and maybe listeners don't quite get kind of the campaign aspect of this, but that person's sole job is to raise money when we're not in session, to build up campaign war chests, to try to either take control of the majority or protect the majority. Yeah, and you're absolutely right, the minority leader as well, because I think the number one issue that I look at it is, and I think that... And, and, and the person could have great intent and be solely focused and be able to do both, but it would be awful hard to – quite frankly, I'm just, I'm just trying to give somebody the benefit I, of the doubt and I, it, it, by a small percentage, but they have to be – you have to trust that their focus is on Minnesota and not personal interests, and that's hard to see Dan, when you're trying to run two campaigns, one for yourself and run, one for the caucus. Dan, if, if you're running a, a – if you're the candidate for governor or Congress or whatever – and you call donors, and you're also the Speaker of the House or the caucus leader, you know, either one, and you call your big donors. They're not sending you two checks. So 
So who do you want them to send the check to? Well, it, I, that's my point, is exactly that, where you want to make sure, and it's not just solely focused on checks and fundraising. It's about policy and, and making those deals. It's a split legislature, split, uh, it's, it's the Republicans control two bodies. We have the governor. There has to be negotiations and deals that are going to be made. And even between the Senate and the House, I yes. mean, you guys, that's that's still set up for a, a little bit of a, a meltdown uh, no, no, yet, no, we'll too. Get there. We'll get there. Oh, God, I love how you minimize that divide. Oh, no, no, no. We're fine. We're fine. Because I, I, I've told some of our new folks in the Senate who, uh, now that the conference committees are going, I said, you know, there's that one vote difference. And I said, you're going to start to meet lobbyists you've not met before because they're going to be coming to you to beg to vote for bills that they've never talked to you about, never given you the time of day about. Because there's going to be Republicans that are not going to vote for some of these bills in the Senate that are coming on a conference committee. I don't know which ones for sure they are, but they are going to need everybody uh, to be on board. So it's a different dynamic in the Senate than it is in the House. I think obviously the one vote difference makes it an extremely challenge. It would be either way. Yep. If we were in in the majority, we'd be having this same same dynamic. But but I'll tell you what, Paul Gazelka has held that group together. I, I have full confidence that after conference committee, we will be able to pass bills out of both bodies and to the governor and give the governor the opportunity to act responsibly and to put a budget forward for Minnesota and not hold Minnesotans hostage and start vetoing bills for politics. We'll send, them, send a good bill. We will. Oh, we'll send a lot of good bills. No, <laughs> they'll be bigly horrible bills that the oh. governor's going to want to veto, and you're going to be like, "Whoa, the governor shouldn't have vetoed it. You should just listen to us and let things fall apart." Oh well. Hey, we we have a we have a legislative majority, and like you said, it's a one seat majority in the Senate. So if you can pass a bill there, it's good enough for the governor. Maybe it will be, but it's got to get past the Senate. Stay All tuned. Right. We'll be back with Capital Roundup. We'll do news of the weird when we're back. You're listening to Capital Roundup on Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130. Crazy. I'm crazy for feeling so lonely. Welcome back to Capital Roundup. This is Senator Dan Schoen. Uh, Across the way, my good friend, Representative Nick Zerwas, straight out of ICU and a fluffy pillow at home. No, no, we're, we're bringing it, bringing it back to uh, news of. Usually, this is the weird part, and some of it uh, is like not so normal. Some of it's plain crazy. Sometimes it's lighthearted. Sometimes it's lighthearted, and so uh, this time, you know, this one, I, I will say. This was uh, a little strange and not normal uh, in in Minneapolis politics between the Minneapolis police chief and Mayor Hodges. Well, so we'll we'll start local, then we will get to our national craziness. Because don't worry, guys, there's plenty of it. Um, but how did the Star Tribune Minneapolis mayor rejects police chief's choice to lead the fourth precinct? Growing tensions between leaders in Minneapolis boils over in police appointment choice. Dan, the stories have kind of flushed out that, yes, 
the strong mayor organization in Minneapolis gives Mayor Hodges the ability to kind of veto, for the lack of a better word, a personnel decision at this level. That being said, the Minneapolis Police Federation is saying they can find zero examples of a sitting mayor doing this in the last four decades. What in the heck is going on in the city of Minneapolis? Well, I I, I can't pretend I understand the move on this one. Uh, I can probably find you examples of what the history is between yeah. Lieutenant John Delmonico uh, and who I consider a friend. I got to be honest with you. Um, I don't get to see him all the time. He used to be up at the Capitol on a regular basis, and he worked uh, very hard on behalf of the men and women of Min- the Minneapolis Police Department as their federation president. So just a little bit of background. Um, John Delmonico was the Minneapolis Police Federation president, which is basically their union. Um, he was involved two or three years ago in a little brouhaha uh, over what was called at the time Pointer Gate scandal. And I and, and I I was critical uh, yep, of John was, and and especially the news organization on that one because I think things yes. got taken out of context even from John. I think John took a lot of heat on that, um, and it was there it was deserved. Um, this was, uh, um, but. He wasn't the sole cause of that whole news story and making it what it was. It was just, it, it just, it, it didn't come out well at all. No, but now people are saying that because of an incident three years ago that the mayor was upset over. Well, even when she was on the council, uh, there was. Uh, it's by the story, it sounds like there was possibly some, some uh, bad blood, and it relates to. Uh, according to the story, I don't know the personal history, but the story reports that there that that there's feelings that there's uh, history about negotiations with the federation and uh, his work with that, and when she was on the city council. So imagine, if you will, how different this story would be perceived if we were talking about a mayor reaching into the public works office to deny someone a promotion to a senior leadership of public works because when they were the union steward, they were a hard-nosed negotiator. Well, let's let's be clear. I mean, uh, Chief Janae Harto, who used to spar with Lieutenant John Delmonico, yes. uh, picked him to run the operation. And, and she is the chief of police who is there day-to-day to go, here's what's working. Now, in the 4th Precinct, they moved an individual uh, from the 4th Precinct, and I know that there's other histor- history there, and we're not going to get into that, but the neighborhood really, really liked that person. Yes. John has been up there in the 4th Precinct, which is North Minneapolis, working nights now as a commander. For, but, for eight months? Something in that range. Yep. And uh, has apparently done a great job, enough to say, I need your help, John. Yeah. And the community uh, uh, apparently uh, is receiving him well. Yes. And this is a very delicate area of Minneapolis for police community relations. You don't say. No question about it. And this is not something that the Minneapolis Police Department needs right now. Well, and, and you know what? If you're upset about Pointergate and anything like that, uh, like I said, I was critical of John over that incident, not like uh, burn down the bridges critical. But... He's doing his job, 
and everybody in, in those circumstances gets to have some redemption and, and get back to work. The mayor's office was notified of this impending promotion. They waited until it went public and then cut him off at the knees. Why would you do that to another human being? Well, I don't know. I mean, we're in the middle of a, a mayoral race, of course, in Minneapolis, and and uh, I, I don't know what the exact reasoning would be. That's not that's not made public at this point. Uh, I things will things will move forward there, and we'll get it. They'll get it figured out, and uh, and I, I hope this doesn't disrupt police community relations. Number one, the federal report that responded to the fourth precinct. Uh, occupation um, following the shooting of Jamar Clark um, highlighted as one of the root causes for why that got so bad. The communication breakdown between the mayor and the police chief. Is this just more proof that these two are, I mean, this is a disaster. Like I said, we don't need any more issues with police community relations in the in the fourth precinct in Minneapolis, and whether wherever you are in in Minnesota, police community relations are an issue. Yes. They truly are. Yep. And uh, as a police officer myself, I always strive to make it better in my community and any community in the state. This is one of those things that just brings attention to police in general and community connections. Let's move forward from that. Let's make it better. Let's go. So at minutes. least at least John Delmonico was ready to stand up and do the job. He didn't say it was harder than he thought it would because like President Trump just said on his oh. hundred days, hey, uh, this is tougher than I thought. Just like health care. Who, who thought it would be that hard to deal with? <laughs> what? You thought this was good. You didn't think this was going to be tough. I mean, maybe that's why he's taking all those vacation trips down to Mar-a-Lago and and golfing, I uh, needs a break. Now, in one hand, when he said he was never going to leave the White House and constantly be doing deals twenty four hours a day. In one hand, I can, I can sympathize with someone that gets in that role, because I think no matter how tough you think that job is, you're fifty percent underselling it. Well, and and but, I think that's but true too. Who but who the hell says that out loud? Well, this guy says a lot of stuff out loud. <sighs> A lot. Stop trying to help. <laughs> well, can you imagine? You show up, and you're in your first hundred days. Which now he's upset that people are actually holding him accountable for the words he said out loud, and he says, "Whoo, tougher than I thought it would be." That's like going out in a field and you can see the rocks, and then complaining about it when you're done, and go, "Man, there are more rocks than I thought." Well, we could all see him from the road, and you're picking rock in the field. Guess what? They get heavy. That's the way it works. You get blisters, and you said you were ready to go. You were going to be making deals all the time. Now, I didn't expect him to sit there in the White House all the time. you got to get out and move around. But uh, how many trips to Mar-a-Lago already and how many golf trips? And he was constantly critical those of President are, Obama. Those are working Oh, of course weekends. it is because now it's your guy. Oh, those please. Working weekends. See, that's just the cra- this is the crazy part. Now you'll defend him. <laughs> Because he's not Obama. He's not the devil. Thank goodness he's yeah, not He's the devil in a different direction. Oh, brought up, and then, of course, they brought all the senators man. over to the White House to talk about North Korea. The secret meeting. The secret meeting that wasn't secret. 
uh, and Lord knows what that's going to turn into. I know we're running out of time, but and we but, got we got five seconds. I am not one that thinks we're imminent uh, about to have armed conflict with North Korea. Um, where are you at on this? It's not. I, I'm I'm more concerned about the things we don't know about and the economic impact. And it's not the economic impact with North Korea. It's the economic impact with other folks around the around the world. How is China viewing us right now? I mean, you got to remember how much debt we have with China, how much trade we do with China, how much of our economy depends on China, and there's on us. China. And if thing if things go sideways there, um, you know that uh, that housing bubble uh, is going to be a uh, child's play compared to what could happen to the economy there. Don't, Let's, be, a, don't be a doomsday guy. Come on. Well, that's all you did for eight years of the Obama administration. I thought things were fine. Oh, <laughs> we just found a we just found a better way. Oh okay. boy, here we go. Well, it's been uh, it's been a, a great week. Uh, thanks for staying with us on Capital Roundup. We will uh, be back with you next week, probably talking about more drama at the state capitol around uh, progress. We were talking about progress. Very little progress, and uh, and if the Democrats are in charge, there'll be a lot of progress. Oh come on! Well, we got to have something partisan. Wrap it up. Hey. See you next week on Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, FM 103.5. This is Senator Dan Schoen with Representative Nick Zerwas, Capital Roundup. Bye.